feel like we're missing something. I feel like that too. What could it be? Hi. Hmm. Hello and welcome to the home of professional podcasting. Where we feel like we're missing something. Well. My sanity perhaps. That's very possible. Mine is probably in the same place. But, you know. <laughs> They're hanging out, having a good time. As Stacy has so often pointed out, it's as good as it's going to get. It is so. what it is. But we're not here to discuss our sanity. We're here to connect the reality of God to the realities of everyday life. And it's, so. it's Reformation Day. It's not now, but it was. Whenever I you hear call that. It Reformation Week. There you so. go. Whenever I hear that, I think of Frozen. She goes, it's Coronation Day! <laughs> That's the first thing that pops into my head. Nice. So. Which makes me think go. of Elsa, which makes me think of the fact that Maisie is playing the Snow Queen in the Nutcracker. Hey. Which has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about. Somebody here. just posted on my, I posted on Facebook today that a uh, screenshot of temperatures and, and snowfall in Alaska this week. And in one area in Alaska, I want to live in Alaska. If I didn't live here, I would live in Alaska. One I want to area, visit Alaska. I don't want to commit to anything. The prices are insane. I don't want to but, commit um, to any place of living. I would commit. I know I don't want to live in Florida or Georgia. When I retire, it's either going to be... There are benefits. It's either going to be northern Michigan, Alaska, or the East Coast. Anyway, um, so one area was going to have... I do want to have, own Michigan, however. Well, there so. you go. One area was going to have 63-plus inches of snow this week. Well, no. And I'm like, I want to be there. And somebody commented that I could Just be... Just jump right past fall and get right, right into the... I'm already, I've already started decorating for Christmas. Um, somebody said you could be an ice road trucker. And I'm like, I, now I'm thinking about what my trucker name would be, and I think it would be Snow Queen. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> or like, I don't know. My mom just showed me a video this morning. I think it was on Facebook. I'm not really sure. Some kind of a reels type deal. And uh, now that everybody and their brother is doing the Snapchat slash TikTok, you know, stories and reels things. Uh, I just watch. I don't do <clears throat> So anyway... Uh, a cousin of mine who lives in Florida said, I would rather, you know, look for copperheads and deal with massive mosquitoes than, you know, face another uh, Michigan winter. Why? My mom shows me this video of a giant snake attacking a deer. I couldn't figure out what I was looking at at first because the snake, some python or boa constrictor type thing, massive, had a deer wrapped up in its coils like Ka from the Jungle Book and uh, some you no, know driver or pedestrian came and beat the snake off with a stick and it goes away and the deer jumps up and runs away and I'm thinking to myself uh, no yeah. uh, hard pass I can live with the garters in the in the yard and in the garden I don't love snakes to begin with but I snakes. you know I can deal with that but no just no. no, you know. It's and like, the gators. My dad has. Can a, you imagine going out in the backyard and like, hey, where's little Billy? Yeah. Oh, I think the snake got him. <laughs> no. Who does this? It's a whole this? new episode of Lassie. Yikes! <laughs> I think the snake has gotten Timmy. Um, my dad lives has his house in Florida. There's a reason Lassie wasn't in Florida. Yeah, right. My dad has a home in Florida, and he'll send me pictures in his backyard where there's just an alligator like walking around. I'm like. Why, though? Why? But no state income tax, so that's a plus. So. I'm sorry. I'll give you your 6% if I don't have to look out and see a gator. Yeah. And I also like seasons. I like seasons. I do. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about I also about today, like uh, plain donuts and hot cider, so that's yes. a good thing. So. 
And frozen Twinkies and hot cocoa. And I will go to my grave saying that cake donuts are better than yeast donuts. But the older I my get, wife disagrees with me. The bananas. older I get, the more I agree with you. I used to be like a major yeast donut person, whatever, but now I've, I think I've converted to cake. Yeah, that's, you know, I like Krispy Kremes. They're more dunkable. I prefer Dunkin' Donuts, um, I, you know. And I never got the chance to have Hello Donuts, well. the, the legendary Hello Donuts, mm. because every time I went or tried to, it's like, 6.30 in the morning, and there's a massive line, and, you know, by 7.30, sold out. And Man, like, I don't miss that on? at all. I don't miss that at all. I used to be so creeped out because I have to get there at, like, 1 in the morning. Terry Bronson and Corey McLaughlin used to, you know, recommend it oh, to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, man, you got you to get there. I'm like, but you're there, and they're gone, and... <laughs> They so, could have, so they didn't get you one, is what you're saying. I, I know, right? That seems like the whole moral of the story here. Nobody loves me. <laughs> welcome to my life. Hello, <laughs> welcome to something real. Yes, where, where nobody we are, loves us. <laughs> we, we are rediscovering the word and reforming and the church. And rediscovering the fact that nobody loves us. Not enough to bring donuts or pizza. That's I'm who, just saying. Who hasn't brought you pizza? Well, you know, for I've never had Silver Beach pizza. I keep hearing how great it is. My sons tell me how great it is and all this kind of stuff. Did any of my kids bring me Silver Beach pizza? No. Did, you know, when I was coaching up in, in St. Joe at, at Michigan Lutheran, I got a bunch of players that worked at Silver Beach pizza. Oh, wow. Hey, coach, we love you. Did they bring me pizza? No. We don't love you enough for pizza. I will say that they were very wonderful and gave me lots of gift cards. But you know where they didn't give me a gift card to? <laughs> Silver Beach Pizza. I so. got an email last night from Pizza Hut and it said, are you thinking about free breadsticks? And I'm like, when am I not thinking That's about free I am now. <laughs> I've never been more sure that my phone is listening to my conversation <laughs> right. than when I got that email. <laughs> Just, yes, I'm thinking about free breadsticks. They're free Big and they're breadsticks. What's <laughs> free, not to think good, about? bread, this, good. This is a thing. Oh, so, golly. Anyway. I, I'm pretty sure that these are not the conversations that Martin Luther was having in 1517. Did they have breadsticks so. in 1500? They had bread and they had sticks. So, <laughs> Put them together. <laughs> I don't know, medieval descriptions of things. They might have been eating sticks. I don't been, know. It's a whole different thing. Man. Anywho. By the way, a little plug for a for a non-sponsored podcast that's out there from Ligonier Ministries. I was going to say Pizza Hut. Uh, it's like, I don't think they need our, our help. Yeah, I don't think any of those places. You can't out Pizza the Hut. But Ligonier Ministries has uh, a variety of podcasts, and one that mm-hmm. I strongly recommend that is, uh, it's currently running season two, which is a condensed and revised version of season one. What season one. are it's we on? new. <laughs> we have seasons? I don't know. We should. 47. Um, but... Uh, it's called Luther in Real Time. And oh. They came out with it in uh, 2020. And basically, it dropped at irregular times, which they considered a feature, not a bug, to borrow from the host, Bradley Cooper. Nope. Yeah, it is Bradley Cooper. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, not, 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 that, that not, Cooper. not that Bradley Cooper. <laughs> not that Bradley uh, Cooper. But anyway, um, they, it, it was 500 years ago on each of these days that various things happened in Martin Luther's life. And so it's a dramatized version of uh, what's going on at the time. So they're, they're walking you through these events of like Martin that. Luther's life in 1520. In real time. In, in real time. So I like that. Join us, join us again, you know, uh, 500 years ago for this next thing. So I like stuff like that. I'll check yeah, that it's, out. Yeah, it's really cool. I strongly recommend it. And, you know, the nice thing about catching it after the fact is you don't have to wait for the next episode. You can just download them all and roll it. right through it. But they, they are the new season. They're condensing and uh, 
you know, um, editing the ones from last year into uh, 13 episodes or instead mm. of 26 or whatever it was with some kind of questions for reflection at the end. So it's good. I prefer the original, as I do with most things, but not always, but most of the time, the original's better. Truth. Matthew Henry's commentary, much better in the revised contemporary English with the NIV translation. But So check that out. I digress. I will check that out. So it's I, gotten cold in here since we turned off that heater. I know, right? Oh boy! <laughs> but you've got your nice, you I know. know, nice winter. But I don't have my cold, love to so. keep me warm because nobody loves me. Anyway, <laughs> not enough to bring you donuts enough. and pizza so. or hot cocoa. Anyway, which reminded me of our conversation on Sunday about the Luther Burger. So, which is a pretty much a combination of those things. I though. had, <laughs> ne- had Stacy had. Uh, she was familiar with this because she clearly is a burger and donut kind of. Burgers are my favorite food. And. Uh, See, I find that food is my favorite. Well, yes, food, but which if I had to kind pick, of my problem, it goes burger, steak, wow, something else, pizza, tacos, and most and other things. Else. Pizza, tacos, you and you burgers and steak. You own and all a cattle things, ranch, so. and beef is not your top. Beef tacos. See, I'm more of a chicken taco girl myself. See. Anyway, yes, a Luther burger is a burger, a cheeseburger, a bacon cheeseburger, I believe, with two donuts as the bun. And I think to be legit, they're supposed to be Krispy Kreme donuts. And I can't, uh, I can't fully wrap my mind around that, but it is intriguing enough that if I come across one, I will you have to try. You gotta go to that it. place from Michigan City. I will have to. They have it. I'll have to try and check that out. Gabriel was Royale there. with cheese. My son Gabriel, who used to live in Michigan City and is passionate about burgers. I think it's relatively new, he, so it uh, might have been. Was after surprised he that there was such a place that he had not heard of. Maybe we can go there for so, our band get together. There you go. Anyway, we can all have our Luther burgers. We can start we, talking. Why about were we it? talking about Luther burgers? Because oh, Martin yes, Luther. Because no relation. Sunday was Reformation Sunday, which in this particular year happened to fall on Repor- Reformation Day, not not, Re- not Reparation Day. That's <laughs> an entirely different thing. That's very twenty twenty. For another podcast at Yeet. another time, probably. Probably never. another channel. <laughs> something to rant so about. As, as we are, yes, that's a something to rant about issue. But as we are oh, uh, looking at this, uh, we're, we're taking just a little quick series uh, for the month of November to, to look at reforming the church. And, um, the what a time that, to do it. The things that happened during uh, what we know as the Great Reformation or the Protestant Reformation, um, I personally prefer Great Reformation because... I thought it was great. It's great. But, uh, great and, good. And, and, and great in scope, really, is more so than good. great in quality, <laughs> but great in scope. Uh, but Grand. that's just me. Anyhow, the um, Reformation Day, which is October 31st, uh, commemorates the, the, what is often considered the spark or the beginning of the Reformation uh, when Martin Luther in uh, 1517 nailed his 95 theses to the castle door, castle church door at uh, Wittenberg. And so um, we, there's a lot of mythologizing that goes uh, along with that, and there are some questions about uh, some of the historicity of it. I think a lot of the questions, what, what tends to happen, and this is, you know, people can debate on this all they want. I'm going to put it out there. If you want to get mad at me, then, hey, Email Stacy. Uh, but you can go to www.reallifeonline backslash I don't care. And six followers just dropped. <laughs> so, anyhow, as we are uh, looking at it, um, a lot of times 
as history uh, rolls by us, we tend to, um, in our age, really since the 18th century, to to bring a critical perspective mm. as if we have new information right. that we do not have most of the time. Sometimes so, it's true because we history is full of mythologizing, and and that's not uh, that's not a new thing at all. And it is appropriate for us to demythologize some of these things to be able to look critically at it. Um, but sometimes we just make stuff up and, and say, well, this couldn't have happened because blah, blah, blah. And we speculate because we just want to criticize. And that's kind of the spirit of the age. Um, we want to deconstruct everything. And that's not particularly helpful. One of the things that strikes me about the the mythologizing dynamic that happens historically, this is not really what the podcast is about, but I'm having fun. So, hey, we got the microphone. That's all that matters. Um, (laughs) I'm having fun. So, anyway, as as we're um, looking at it, one of the the reasons that we see the mythology take place, as we mythologize um, historic events, is the the spirit of that age, the spirit of that moment, um, carries over into bigger concepts. And so where we even where we begin to uh, embellish and mythologize, um, such as the Robin Hood story or Arthurian legends, different things that, that come out, uh, legends a little bit different than, than mythologized history. But any, anyway, as we're looking at a lot of these things, the the spirit and concept of what takes place in there um, is carrying forward the heart of the truth that that the historical event represents. We do need to be careful, and I think that it's very important for us to to look at those things and to do so, I'll, I'll go ahead and use the word I used before, critically, to, mm-hmm. to be honest about it. But just because there may be questions about various things does not make them untrue. And just because something has been mythologized does not automatically uh, negate the veracity of the story. Um, It may or may not, but we need to be careful about that. Um, Suzanne and I were just talking about that with Luke's account um, because we're working on the Advent devotions. And so she, uh, as she was sitting at the airport waiting for her plane, she um, texted me and said, hey, we've got some things to look at here in Luke's account in um, in Luke 2, talking about the, the census and Quirinius and Herod and trying to look at the historicity of it. So we're doing some texting back and forth. She's doing most of the research. I did like one search. Um, but it's in that particular case, it is very important to be able to understand the historicity of Scripture, particularly in a place like Luke is, he's couching the, the Advent narrative, the mm-hmm. Incarnation, in these historical events Mm. for a reason, to demonstrate that he is giving an actual orderly history. That's his claim. That's what he's doing. So if he gets historical events wrong, then that undermines the inerrancy of the Bible, the the doctrine of inerrancy. Well, if that's the case, if the Bible is no longer inerrant, then the entire concept, concept of sola scriptura, which is what we're talking about today, goes out the window. If the idea is that we see the Bible as our ultimate authority, our final authority for faith and life, then that rests on the fact that it is, as it claims to be, God-breathed, inerrant, infallible. Uh, it is authoritative in every aspect that it claims to be authoritative. It doesn't tell you how to, put, how to in- install your 
shower. You know, it doesn't tell you how to plant a tree. So we don't look at, at it for authority in those areas. But we do look at it uh, as the final authority for all things regarding faith and life, which is its own claim. But if Luke is wrong, if these historical issues are wrong, not that they're... Um, not that they're told differently. People will go to the Genesis account and say, well, you know, science, science, science. Well, it's not a scientific account. It's not claiming to be. And it's not contrary to the evidence. Right. Well, what we can look at in the Genesis account is that there is zero chance, <laughs> zero chance that the writer of this account, which I believe to be Moses, if, if, if as they're writing this, even with God inspiring every word, it would be useless and pointless for the vast majority of human history to get into a scientific breakdown of how God brought things about. Right. The point is, God did it from nothing by his declaration, by his word. It did it in an orderly fashion that matches this account. And the scientific evidence supports that, regardless of, of the critics who want to say that it does not. The whether or not, and I do absolutely believe in a young earth, and I believe that is the appropriate um, perspective, whether you believe in a 6,000-year calendar or 10,000 or 15 or whatever, that those issues are, are ancillary. Those, those are secondary or tertiary, tertiary issues. But the old earth, um, day-age concept, all of those things, they don't fit the... the the biblical theology. So I think we have to throw those things away. When we're looking at what the word says, though, if it's talking about <clears throat> are these literal 24-hour days or right. are these 36-hour days because you know the, the laws have changed um, since the flood or sin has caused things to spin faster, We've, we see them as constant. Does that mean that God sees them as constant? Those types of things are not relevant to the point of the story. The story is God created, therefore God has all authority. Mm -hmm. God created us for a purpose, therefore within that purpose, we we find our mission, our, our uh, reason for living. And outside of that purpose, we lack that. Right. Which is borne out by our experience in society. Again, we wanna connect the reality of God to the realities that we experience every day in our lives. And, and if if we're created, not created, but we exist by random chance, and the planet just happened to show up because of all of these random circumstances, and we just happen to be here by random circumstances, and we're all just glorified monkeys or you know amoeba later on, then why does any of it matter? Right. Why should we try to save the planet from climate change if it? didn't really matter anyway. There's no purpose. It was an accident. But if we believe that God created for his glory, created us for his glory, created this planet specifically the way he did so that we have a place to live to bring him glory, well, then that makes all the difference in the world. It changes our perspective. In the same way, when we look at swinging all the way back to rediscovering the word and reforming the church, in the same way, when we see what was happening in medieval times, not the event not place. the restaurant where you eat with your hands. Right. Um, but, but during, I've never been there. I have not either. <laughs> um, but during this period of time that we call the, the medieval period, we had drifted away from 
the centrality of Scripture, mm. uh, which happened over about a 1,200-year period. Really, I mean, 1,500, but, but really from Constantine on, things began to change. When the church was persecuted regularly, uh, you didn't have nearly as much fake Christianity because there was no political, personal, social advantage mm. to being uh, a Christian as a religious group. Mm. The, the advantage was... I get to have life. Right. And so even if you take my physical life, I now have spiritual life because of God's grace given to us in Christ. So it purified the church and it purified thought. And we see that today uh, in contemporary societies where uh, Christianity is persecuted or outlawed. When that's the case, then it's a whole lot easier to know whether somebody's sincere about their faith. Right. If I, you know... If I choose to be baptized to, to make this public declaration of faith in America, it doesn't mean all that much, right. you know, truthfully. I mean, it, it does, but it doesn't. It's easy to do this. And I've dealt with folks who, you know, you're in a, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, you're in a custody case and you want to look better. So, you know, if I go get baptized, go to church, it looks better. I want to make my mom happy, so I get baptized. Uh, you know, any number of different things. Really, the worst thing that's going to happen to you, like we do our baptisms at the public beach yeah. here, and the worst thing that's going to happen to you is maybe someone looks at you and like, well, they're weird. But that's it. Right. You know, if you do that, knowing that you could lose your livelihood, right. your family, even your life, then it's different. You're taking it pretty seriously. You're not going into it lightly. During the medieval period, the church dominated society. And because the church dominated society and there was no real pushback, the most powerful person in the world at that time was the Pope. The church had, had bloated and grown and, and developed, um, grown to the point of groaning, uh, homonyms. So as, uh, as we look at how it developed, we had gone away from... The, the early creeds, uh, the, the councils that were um, debating, okay, what does, what does it mean that Jesus was begotten? Is he, you know, does, did he proceed from God? Was, was he created? Was, is he God himself? Wrestling through the concepts of Trinity and <clears throat> salvation, the, the nature of Christology, what, what are the actual accepted books of Scripture? And, and the church wrestled with that openly, publicly, in its early centuries. And by this time, when you didn't have those really central core big issues to deal with, some traditions had developed, and then you had to develop theologies to support the traditions, whether or not that matched Scripture. So then you start bouncing around. Well, the the doctrine of the church at the time, which now we would recognize as the Roman Catholic Church, um, which is kind of a, a almost a, an oxymoron. If it's Roman and Catholic, Catholic being universal, that really doesn't work. It's either universal or it's Roman. Uh, so without having more fun with language, the, the church's teaching was that the, the, the traditions of the church the teaching of the councils and specifically the Pope um, was equal, it was on par with Scripture. And so we have the Scripture, and the Scripture is an important guide for us, but where we disagree or we're not sure, we're just going to trust the clergy. We're going to trust the council of the churches, the councils of the churches, and so on. Uh, and 
throughout church history, there had been, you might call them proto-reformers, those who were, who were seeking to reform the church from within from the beginning. And one of the, um, one of the great minds uh, that led up to the Great Reformation was John Wycliffe in the 14th century. And uh, Wycliffe in England felt that it was crucial, it was absolutely imperative for the common person to be able to read the scriptures for themselves mm. so that now we could see what God actually is telling us. The scriptures were only in Latin. They were only available to certain people, to the priests specifically, but not even to all the priests. Not all priests had, had an entire copy of the Bible. And so we're taking it from the liturgy, from what we're told. We're accepting various teachings. You had gotten so far in the development of, uh, of the theology that one of the two of the really big things that, that became crucial, we'll talk about one this coming Sunday, uh, that became crucial in the change that, that took place during this time was the idea of the mass and the selling of indulgences. And one of the things that, um, that really was problematic in a medieval society in, in, in Western and Northern Europe uh, in particular, <clears throat> because in, uh, as you move farther east, you'd fall into, you'd, you'd stumble onto, I guess, if you were traveling that direction, uh, the shift uh, of the previous schism going from mm. Western Roman-centered uh, uh, church orthodoxy to the, the Greek or Eastern orthodoxy that dominated Russia in the Eastern part. So um, that's a bigger discussion. But as we're looking at, at what was happening oh, yes, the here, motherland. <laughs> yes, as we're looking at, at what was happening in, in Western and Northern uh, Europe, there was this, it had become sort of a syncretism uh, of a sort um, between the Roman um, structure and theology that had been developed and the pagan, you know, whether it's the, the Celts and Druids or, or uh, the Norse mythology, there, there was this um, sort of, a, a, I guess I'll just use the word syncretism, where, where we began to blend things together, some of which was deliberate to, to take various dates to to Christianize them or, mm. or baptize them. Uh, but a lot of it was among the common people, the superstitions that had always been there from pagan religions, now were used by various church leaders mm. to keep the people afraid because people who are afraid are easier to control. Maybe that's an overstepping for me to say because, but the history <laughs> kind of bears that out, that, um, that there was a deliberate intent to keep people afraid. And so, and this never happened again ever since. Right. Um, so we have to come to the church to help us through this. That blows my mind, That and this little history lesson. I realize that's probably not what we we're going to talk and about today. Probably but not a very good history lesson. No, so it there's is. A lot of, because here's a lot the of thing. details folks can talk about for a better conversation well here's the thing like we're this whole the whole point of this podcast if you didn't know um is to bring the reality of god to the realities of life and in talking about things you know whether they're in scripture or just that have happened that are important uh bringing it to today this is i mean maybe not in the exact same way but this is still happening today mm. um i think specifically of like progressive christianity and people 
leaving out parts of scripture or kind of twisting it a certain way or saying things or assuming things that aren't necessarily there. And they're doing it because either people aren't reading the word for themselves Mm -hmm. and they're just believing these leaders uh, or they're scared into believing a certain thing so they will read the text and then think yeah that's exactly what they're that's exactly what it means right and we call so, that eisegesis right. reading into it rather than exegesis right. drawing out so of the text. it's still happening and that's crazy and i think and i've talked about this before i went to a catholic college and it was a it was also a liberal arts college um but there were some people there that were like super hardcore I belong to the Roman Catholic Church. And they would specifically, like, they would go across the street to Notre Dame and specifically attend Roman Catholic-style services. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, because I had never been Catholic, I really didn't know the difference because I was in the choir, so I would go to services sometimes and sing. But I didn't really know the difference between, like, a standard Catholic service of today and a traditional Roman Catholic service. Were you regularly attending no, church? No, it was, like, for knowledge? special... Uh, no, I was not. Okay. Um, but as far as Catholic services went, it was usually just for like special occasions and things yeah. like that. But I didn't, and I still couldn't tell you the difference between a Roman Catholic service and... Did they have like a chapel service or anything? They did. They had two two churches on campus at St. Mary's. And those were specifically Roman as well, right? The... I don't, I think one was, and one was more like mm-hmm. liberal. But, but a lot of them, and I don't know how many churches are at Notre Dame, but a lot of them over there were more Roman Catholic. Yeah. Anyway, that's my story. Anyway... I think that's very interesting and kind of frightening that this is all still happening today. Yeah, and it's not just, I mean, it's easy to see a lot of these things with progressive Christianity or liberal theology. And and it's very much the same kind of dynamic where we throw up straw men and we, you know, Mm. so we can knock them down. And, uh, you know, we use labels to call anybody who holds to traditional biblical teaching bigots and hate mongers and so on. Uh, But at the same time, from those who would fancy themselves more conservative in their theology, we can see that happen there as well. And and that happened, we usually use the term fundamentalist as a pejorative term now. It's not how it began. And when, when the fundamentalist movement of evangelicalism began, it was in response to progressive Christianity then, to liberal theology that was moving away from Scripture and uh, distorting the gospel. And so as they developed, here are the fundamentals that you must believe, that movement took hold in response to the, um, the, the liberal theology that was poisoning the churches. But over time, what ended up happening is the, the push for purity and orthodoxy over primary issues, setting aside those areas where it is acceptable within Orthodox Christianity to disagree on secondary or tertiary issues. It became much more of a tribal, beat my chest kind of thing. Mm. We're not those stinking liberals sort of deal. And so there are a lot of folks in fundamentalist or what we would now call fundamentalist churches. I don't don't think those who were true fundamentalists would accept that. Um, Where we... Uh, we see these folks, and, and Westboro Baptist comes to mind as they're you know, always in the headlines about picketing, you know, and all these different things. But this idea where we throw out doctrines, but, but the people that are saying it, well, this is what the Bible says, haven't actually read, in, read it in the Bible. They're taking the pastor's word for it. So there's a lot of the fire and brimstone fear mongering, if I can borrow that term from, from those 
uh, with whom I disagree. Uh, that happens on, on, on the more conservative side and on the more liberal progressive side. And so we want to be careful wherever we're going. Again, we always look at that pendulum swing. Mm-hmm. And, and that happened in the Reformation um, where the the longing to reform the church, to bring the church, which is what Luther wanted. He never wanted to leave the church, to, leave, to be uh, excommunicated. He didn't think that his uh, 95 Theses would be necessarily particularly controversial. Some controversial, for sure. Uh, he, he was angry about the selling of indulgences, uh, specifically by Johann Tetzel, uh, for the raising of money to build... Uh, to build the basilica, and as as he addressed those things, he did it in a pretty non-controversial way. It was the accepted norm uh, if you wanted to invite people to debate to an intellectual debate that you would post it on the uh, on the door of the church. Hmm. And so it was basically like a social media post, and put this out here, you know, or Stephen Crowder showing up at a university making a statement, change my mind, hmm. kind of thing. Um, so in that sense, and basically to that degree, little controversial, even the debate about indulgences wasn't particularly controversial. It had been debated for some time. The practice had been around for a few hundred years. Uh, the idea that was promoted at the time, which is not theologically sound, but uh, it, I believe, I could be wrong about this, but I believe that this is still the teaching of the Catholic Church. Um, if somebody knows better, you can correct me on that, but um, that the there are saints, Christ himself, um, you know, Mary, uh, who's seen as the perpetual virgin in many circles, uh, the venerated saints of the church who have done more than enough good to be made right with God and right. get into heaven. Uh, whole other discussion, we can go back to Ephesians for that one, but... Um, but they have more than enough, more than they need. So they're essentially stored in this treasury of merit. Mm-hmm. And then that can be transferred to you. You can essentially you know, borrow from that by right. doing I've good said, works. I've said before, like when I was in school, people would be like, oh, I lost my keys. I have to pray to Saint yeah. so-and-so, the saint of lost things. Yeah. Or, or even Mother Teresa was sainted, wasn't she? Uh, I think They so. were talking about I don't remember if uh, she was. I think she was. But, but. like... They're people. <laughs> I remember that being talked about. But yeah, they, so the idea was that there are Christians out there who did more than they needed to right. do to get into heaven. Therefore, you can borrow from their righteousness uh, in this treasury of merit. And as you did good deeds and particular things, then that could be imputed or credited to your account. Uh, then it developed into being able to, well, giving to the church is a good deed. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if you give this amount to the church, we can get you a letter of indulgence. Uh, and that couldn't possibly go wrong, right? So then uh, Tetzel basically is, you know, he's your, you know, crazy Larry salesman guy out there doing all sorts of things to guilt people and and pressure people into doing this. And he missed his Gra- calling and not selling pretzels. Grandma's burning in, in uh, purgatory and she's crying out, if for just a few coins you could get me out of this, why don't you love me? Sarah right? McLaughlin's you know? playing in the background. And he would actually, very much like that, and he would actually, <laughs> you know, imitate voices he would dramatize oh, the geez. voices as he's doing it so that you know you're, you're standing there with all the superstitions of that time and place and 
you don't have the access to the scriptures. You only believe that the priests are always right. They Man. represent God. And so indulgences and the mass, because they, uh, they taught that through transubstantiation, that the priest uh, in the ceremony would literally perform the miracle of turning the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ in a literal sense. Um, so this miraculous thing gives the priest a, a particular amount of power. Mm. The priests held, you know, held salvation in their hands. The Pope in particular held salvation, the keys to heaven and hell. So it was a pretty dangerous thing. And all of that, Luther believed it with his heart and soul. Nobody was a more dedicated monk than Luther. He wanted to know God. He wanted to be right with God. And he was constantly plagued by this, this overwhelming fear that of not being sure of his salvation. Mm -hmm. This is, and it's been the devil's tool for so long throughout human history. The devil has worked extra hard to get us to doubt our salvation. So if we are not saved, he wants us to believe we are or that we don't need it. And if we are saved, he wants us to believe that we're not so that we live paralyzed. He can't take us out of God's hand, but he can get us to live out of fear and, and we, we have this shackled life because we're not connecting the reality of God as we see revealed in his word to the reality of life as we experience it every day. So then our feelings begin to dominate. And we have this, this pendulum that we constantly are, are seeing happening. So in 2 Kings chapter 22, we're, we're like past our time and I'm finally getting to the scripture we're talking about. In 2 Kings chapter 22, and I'm not going to take the time to read it today, uh, King Josiah, uh, who's really the last good king for uh, Judah, um, Israel's already been been uh, taken over by Assyria. Uh, the southern kingdom is still established in Judah, and Josiah comes in and he he uh, begins the reforms. He wants to honor God, but then uh, in the 18th year of his reign, then uh, as they're rebuilding the temple, Hilkiah the priest finds what he calls the book of the law, and he sends it back to uh, Josiah, and he reads it and he realizes, oh my gosh. This is worse than I thought. This is this is God's law, and we are worse off than I ever imagined. He tears his robes and he weeps before God, and he he seeks uh, insight from uh, sends the people to go inquire of the prophetess Hulda. Um, you don't often see a prophetess. Normally, you see male prophets, so that's uh, a unique part of the story that's worth looking up sometime to check out. See, so why do we only have this? But anyhow, uh, as this is is going on, um, God reveals to him that this exile is going to happen, um, the judgment is coming, but I'm going to bring you through this because you were responsive to my word. Hmm. In a nutshell, the discovery of God's word changed everything. It, and he renewed the people's covenant with God and the people throughout his lifetime then followed the Lord um, and God allowed him to be buried with his fathers before seeing all this judgment come. But the judgment did come. In much the same way, the, the heart of the Reformation came because of the focus on the principle known as sola scriptura, scripture alone. When the word of God was rediscovered, that's why every, at every point along the way when we see uh, Reformation movements begin, there's an effort to get the, hand, the, the people the Word of God, to get the, the actual scriptures into the hands of the common person. When Luther nailed his 95 theses on the, on the church door, 
a number of things sort of came together. There's this confluence of circumstances that did in this moment what Wycliffe couldn't accomplish, what Jan Hus and Bohemia couldn't accomplish, what all the previous uh, reformers couldn't fully accomplish, but they all began the process. There was a spark that, that held in there. And with Luther, it wasn't just that he was talking about indulgences. It wasn't just that he was you know, inviting this debate and questioning the practices and teachings of the church. It was that this happened when there was money at stake mm. among the powerful people. And, you know, as the old saying goes, follow the money. So there, were, there was money at stake. There was influence and power at stake. And just prior to this, at the, right at this time, we see the advent of Gutenberg's press. Mm. So at Wycliffe's time, when he's trying to get the Bible into the hands of the English-speaking people, every Bible had to be hand-copied. There, yeah. there, there was no other option. That's a lot. And it would take months to do one. Luther puts these things out, and his, his book, The Babylonian Captivity of the Church, he put out in Latin because that's what scholars did. And one of his critics, thinking that he would shoot him down, got a hold of a copy, translated it into German, printed it in German so that you know the people would see what a terrible person Luther was, and all that did was throw fuel on the fire. Right. Now the people are like, well, wait a minute, Luther's right. Luther, when he was in exile, when he was hiding uh, during part of this period, posing as St. George, uh, so as he's as he's hiding out, he didn't waste his time. He was translating the Bible into the German language, mm. which was not yet a unified language. And so Luther not only translated the Bible, but he unified the German language and gave gave sort of a, a canonization to it. So now, not only do you have this, this codex containing the scripture, but you have the codex that's developing the linguistic evolution of the Anglo-Saxon people as you are moving this forward uh, it increased literacy. Gutenberg's press did so much to increase literacy because people wanted to read. Right. They had something they they could get in their hands, so they, more people learned to read. They wanted more reading because once they started to, it was like, i got to have more of this, kind of like pizza and donuts. I start, and I want more. And, Full circle today. And so then they come, come back to this idea of Scripture. So you know, immediately, the first thing Gutenberg printed, by the way, was Jerome's Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible. So Gutenberg printing the Bible, Luther now is bringing people back to the Bible, trying to get it into people's hands. And that was what really was the spark. The tinder was already there, it was already ready to catch fire. Uh, and, and this became the spark hmm. in, a, in a relatively non-controversial thing at any other time, in any other setting. Now it became controversial. So many others got hold of it, and, and people who were devout Catholics just like Luther said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I didn't see this in the Scripture before. Right. Luther lived in fear because how could I be good enough to please a holy God, and how can I know if I've achieved that? So he was constantly living in fear of, am I good enough? Am I good enough? I'm trying to do all this stuff. No. Until he read in the New Testament, <laughs> right. none of us are good enough, right. but God's grace is available simply through faith. And, you know, there were so many other issues that went into it. I love talking about the Reformation. I think it's, it's fun on a lot of levels because I, I do dig history. But it's also tragic the way things almost immediately, once they got past the initial persecution, things started to go haywire. And the Catholic critics, the, the Roman critics 
of the Protestants basically said this is going to create anarchy. You know, people are going to just go and have all these schisms, all these different churches. Well, that turned out to actually be true, uh, and, and many lives were lost in the process. But ultimately, the, the changes that needed to take place only happened because the Bible was restored, rediscovered as the final authority for faith and life. We will stop there today. Uh, I, I don't know if we got into what we were talking about on Sunday or not, but I feel like this is an important, you know, starting point. Well, that um, was, the, I mean, that was the core of the right. sermon was was the centrality of Scripture right. to the Reformation and, uh, of Israel, of Judah, and of Europe, and today. If we're going to change our lives right. today, we don't need the preacher's opinion. Right. That that's helpful in understanding things, but every preacher in this podcast and everything else needs to be held against the standard of Scripture alone. That is our final authority. And if, as Paul said, if we or an angel from heaven were to come and tell you a different gospel, may they be eternally cursed, because it's the Word of God that is eternal and unchanging. I think even the title of this sermon, Rediscovering the Word, I mean, that's... I, we could have just said that and have called it a day, <laughs> but um, yeah, we will stop there. We got an, another few weeks to to talk about this. Yeah, well, next week we'll be looking at, at the idea of worship and ritual, and you know how how does communion, the mass at that time, how how does this fit into um, the nature of being an evangelical Christian, uh, which was a term that even uh, was used during Luther's day mm-hmm. as orthodox and and true. We want to make sure that we are doing what God wants, not just whatever floats our boat. I will refrain from saying anything else. Okay, if you guys have any questions, feel free to email us at somethingreallifeonline.org or leave a comment uh, or question on Facebook or YouTube. Or you and can feel free to send donuts or pizza. That too. Christmas is coming. Um, and we're feeling unloved. <laughs> you can also leave us a voicemail using the Anchor app or giving us a call. Just a little unwell. 269-756-RLCC. I got your Matchbox 20 minutes. Um, I think that's all the ways that you can contact us. Unless you get creative. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> you have anything else to say? So many things. Okay. But... We are well over time. Well over. Uh, So yeah, we'll catch you guys next time. Peace.